Hello YouTube. It's not morning as usual, but I've still got my cup of coffee. No bad days. Today's a good day because we're up to episode number 47 of my Chit Chats with Git Cats, and this is a good one. Um, this has been a lot of fun catching up with a lot of my guitar heroes that I learned to play the guitar, basically listen to their records, and um, ding dong, who's at my door today, but none other than Mr. Mark Lazotte, also known as Diesel. Hey Mark, how are you buddy? Oh, hi Rick, thanks for having me. No problem mate, thank you for taking the time, and no uh, thanks for sitting through and troubleshooting with me as Skype gave us a bit of grief at the start. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry I, I threw, threw the spanner in. Mate, these things happen, but you know what? We're here a couple of minutes late, but yeah. it's rock and roll, isn't it? <laughs> we went to d default equipment. We, I was trying to be fancy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of these days soon, apparently the software that I mm. use is going to include their own uh, yeah. chat client, which will make things a lot easier. Mark, I'm going to jump straight in, man. Yeah, man. I want to know what started the love affair with the guitar for you, mate. How did you start playing? The love affair started, I, you know, almost from out of the the womb, or probably still in the womb. Um, yeah, I think I think just the sound of the guitar uh, it was really attractive to me, and um, I, I didn't quite know how to voice my, you know, use my voice to sort of say, I want a guitar as strong as I probably could have. Um, and that, that's kind of, I think that's probably intrinsically why I play so many things now. Because, I mean, although I'm, you know, people go, oh, guitar player, guitar player, and they're quick to point that out. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's not like I don't have uh, an absolute, like, love for the guitar but it's it, my love is not exclusive just to the for the guitar you know it, yeah. i do love the sound of it but i love playing a lot of other things too so yep. um yeah I, I think it was a kind of combination of being uh getting into my teens and the fact that my brother and sister bought me an electric guitar for christmas that kind of sort of all come came together up until then i was playing cello oh really so yeah, and that was an accident, really, because I was living in, in Arizona, and it just so happened that the school that I was going to had a string program, which was pretty unusual for a public school to have a, a string program. It was, yep. you know, not the, not the norm. Yep. Usually it's just a couple of brass instruments, and that's about it, if you're lucky. Uh -huh. <clears throat> and my sister was at... Um, Victorian College of the Arts, the VCA, and she was sharing with a, with a, uh, sharing a room with a cellist, and so she sent me these recordings of her, her room roomie playing cello, and just to peak 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 uh peak my interest, and yeah, so it was one of those. This is uncanny, you know. She sends this recording. I'm at the school. I've just started at this new school, and there's a cello, so it was kind of like, well, that's that's what you're going to do. Cool. And that was, you know, that really kept me entertained, I suppose, for, you know, a good six, seven years. And then it was like one of those things of like, well, how am I going to integrate? How am I going to get in a band with this? You know, it was, wasn't really good. I was with a youth orchestra on the weekends, a Western Australian youth orchestra. But, you know, that around that age of 13, 14, I started getting the Sunday paper and uh, looking in the one and ads. It got the Sunday paper on a Saturday night. I was that keen. Yeah. 
I'd go up to Delhi and get it the first pressing, you know, start calling people and it was a waste of time. Everybody was out, you know. You, sometimes you get their, their mums and dads and be like, no, he or she's not home right now. You know, um, call back tomorrow, you pain in the bum, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, I just started meeting people through the paper and you start this kind of like, you kind of, you know, courting, I suppose, in a sense, but they, you know, they said that what they saw was a 14 year old at that point, a uh, guitar player who was full of like, you know, as the Jewish people say, chutzpah, you know, like I had plenty of that, but an actual technique or, or knowledge of the instrument, not, not much at all. But I, because I've been playing cello, my fingers were all really muscled up. Cool, <laughs> you know? cool. And that's the, that's the reason why I use my pinky a lot more than most guitar players. If you notice, there's a lot of three-finger guitar players yep. in the world. And that's yep. not like, a, you know, it doesn't mean diddly squat, actually. Um, Django Reinhardt did things that we people still can't play. With, with two. With pretty much two. Yeah. So, yeah, but it is it is nice to have a strong pinky finger for, for sort of doing spreads and chords and bends and stuff. You know, it feels good to me. Yep. Um, yeah, so, I, you know, I, I started sort of, making friends with a few camps and then eventually got taken in by one one particular group of people and they were all like 10, 15 years older than me. But they, you know, thought, well, this is, you know, this is kind of like a um, a development sort of thing. You know, we'll yeah. take him in, see what happens. Um, and, yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty soon that I realised, I think there was, yeah, one particular occasion where the singer and, sort of pointed out that I was on the wrong pickup of the guitar right in the middle of the song, you know, it'd be like, yeah. it just came over and went click to the back pickup. And I guess I was, I was kind of into the, the neck pickup at that time because it was more mellow and I felt like I could hide amongst it a bit better. You know, yeah. it was like, I don't really know what I'm doing. So I'll just put a play on the neck pickup and sort of, you know, muffle it and sort of safe, you know, and he was like, okay, to the back pickup. And it's like, ah, <laughs> suddenly, here I am. <laughs> yes, yeah, like the floodlight came came on me, and um, I, did, I just remember having this like feeling, like going from my head down to my toes of just like, oh god, you know, um, overwhelming sort of embarrassment of just like, oh, oh man, I really don't know what I'm doing with this good thing, you know. And it, it's like that when you first, you know, like I didn't even have an acoustic guitar to start on, really. I mean, besides the guy across the road. When we lived in in Inaloo, and, and um, he was much older than me, and he had this crappy nylon string guitar, and I used to sort of go over and steal it off him, and he'd come <laughs> back and get it off back off me, and, and so I had my cello, and then my brother left a bass. That was that was like the stepping stone. He left a nice uh, Fender P bass and, and a Vox amp, you know, a Vox AC50, and went overseas. So that was like, wow, things are getting way better here. Um, but then I still didn't have the guitar. So finally I had the guitar, I had an amp, and that, that was it. I was, I was like, I'm ready, I'm, I want to join a band, you know. But, yeah, I still had a lot to learn about just the workings of, of how to pull sounds. Um, yeah, and just it's, it's from going from a cello to an electric guitar is quite a transition. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, and a lot of, you know, being a guitar player, was, you know, an electric guitar player, let's just say, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a – it's a power tool kind of thing. Like yep. you got to know how to use it. Um, otherwise, you're just going to like, you know, cut the legs off the table without, without, not without meaning to. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, it's it can be loud. It can be out of tune terribly. You know, yep. it's, half of being a good guitar player is just wrangling. That's why I say to people when they're starting out, it's like, look, half of playing guitar is being a wrangler. You got to wrangle that damn thing into tune constantly. Yeah. It's yeah. like tuning it by the tuner is like, yeah, okay, but it doesn't finish there. It never does. I mean, I'm I'm tuning practically what well, <laughs> all the time I'm playing. Like yeah. even if it's just pulling it a little bit like this it's come on you know like I'll give it a bit of a push here the last resort is to is to use the tuning pegs for me like I have to do that sometimes on stage but sometimes I can just will it to kind of be more in tune just by like yanking a little bit or pushing a little bit or even just playing it a certain way yep it's that that subtle I hear um, you're on that one yeah and so in guitars are just that you know they, they, the cranky little things I mean there's one's that you get to a point where they really behave themselves nicely and that's great and everything, but you still got to just kind of nurture them constantly. Yeah. That's part of being part of your job. You know, it's, it's not like it just comes out of the box and you turn it on and it's ready to go. Yep. Yep. So yeah, there, there's a lot of that and a lot of frustration when I first started, you know, um, just kind of trying to understand it all. Um, and that's where like mentors and, you know, um, someone like, that, that just really wants to show you how everything works um, can make such a big, like can really make you go leaps and bounds. You know, I guess YouTube is a, is a great thing now for that sort of thing. It's like, you know, why is my guitar staying in tune? I don't know. Let me look it up and see yeah, what sure. problematic areas are. But I, I find just hanging at that point, it was, I had some older mentors that were just, you know, been already around the block. And so they show me things and, you know, um, just like killing time on Saturday afternoons, like what we're doing right now. Yep. You know that, that that those those hours are priceless. You know, I learned so much from from a few people back then, and it yep. really it still resonates now. And I, I pass it on to other people. Cool. So, what was your first guitar? Your first electric um, guitar? It was an Anson, um, which is A N S O N. It's very kind of obscure. The brand that came out of Korea, I think, and yep. a few of them landed in Western Australia. Um, probably a few other parts of the, the country, but not a huge shipment. And it was a Melody Maker copy, so it was like a Gibson Melody Maker Sunburst. Yep. Two pick, two single coil pickups, four knobs. So it was Gibson style. Yeah. Um, and it was it was pretty kick ass um, until I started experimenting with heavier strings. I, I like the the sound of heavier strings straight away. I've got some set and it was like a jazz set. Yep. I was like, damn, that sounds so much better. And then the machine heads just started dying, and I, one of the covers came off, and then I saw that the cog that connects to the machine post, you know, yep. was made of plastic. It wasn't even brass. Oh, yeah, right. Never going to handle, like, a heavier string. You know, like, 9s to 42 are probably, like, what you wanted to have on that guitar. Yeah. And I was like, oh, plastic, I guess that was a... That's where you cut corners on costs. <laughs> yeah. And was this all being played through your brother's AC50? Yeah. Yeah. He had a, it was a 1960, I'd, I'd guess it was a late 60s, judging by the, by the, it was a JMI um, uh, period one. It had silver bulldogs, sort of speakers, like the blue bulldogs, but there was silver, that same sort of shape and um, basket and everything. And it had a horn, so it was. I think the speaker box was made for like anything, maybe a vocal yeah, right. or a keyboard. So yep. I dis range. disconnected the horn because someone told me it was like get rid of that thing. I was like, okay, snipped it off. Um, and um, I just yeah wore that thing right out. 
wore it right out to the point where the speakers I had to put like tape on them to kind of hold them together. They were like falling to bits. And then I eventually, you know, replaced the speakers. The amp got worked on so many times by different repairers and, and um, unfortunately quite a few repair jobs were done badly. And so yeah. it just it started sounding like something that I didn't like, number one, and, and nothing like what it should sound like. It really drifted off. Yeah, It probably just needed a, a – a really good going over or maybe a new transformer or something. I don't know, but I gave up on it anyway. Yeah. Ended up swapping it um, for JMP 50 watt JMP Marshall. Nice. Nice. Which was a bit of a, um, yeah, it's a strange kind of uh, I mean, I love that amp, but the compared to the bottom that the, the AC 50 had, the box had a lot more sort of like bottoms to it and just yep. it was a bigger deeper sound and the marshal was suddenly like really pokey but then that was another again another education for me it was like oh now i know what mids are <laughs> you know yeah yeah Marshall just had these mids that were like singing like yeah. really singing mids and just that crunch that that two to three k crunch that is a marshal to me yeah that um like you can say that a Marshall's based off of a Fender, but that might have been at the very, very, very beginning. But the way they drifted by then, they de definitely had that, that distinct Marshall sound that to me is like uh, very much uh, their own. There's nothing else that sounds like that to me. Yeah. So when you were you started playing with, with bands at that age, uh, self-taught then, huh? Yeah. I mean, look, I had a few lessons off um, this beautiful um, – jazz player that was playing around Perth at the time that my dad um, hooked up. His name's Lenny. His name was Lenny Parker. Um, and uh, he was a real George Benson devotee. He had the George Benson Ibanez guitar, which, um, you know, I think I was like 12 or 13 when I got a few lessons off him and it was like, whoa, he's got the George Benson guitar. Cool. You know, it was just like, wow. And he had beautiful, beautiful licks and, had all the runs and the chords. And so he showed me a few things, um, you know, little things that he just never sort of forget, like um, standards like Blue Dolphin Street and things like that. And, um, you know, a few chords that are just, <laughs> it's like doing Twister to like play them, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, but I was like, yeah, that's cool. I like jazz and everything, but I want to rock. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I, you know. Like, I, that was not never going to just take all of my kind of uh, focus, you know. And, yeah, I mean, my dad would have loved me to just play jazz, I'm sure, but because he was a jazz player himself, a sax, saxophonist, so he'd take me down to the Perth Jazz Society on Monday nights. Before I even had a guitar, he'd make me get up and push me up there and play bass, you know, yeah. sit in with people. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just one of those kind of things to appease my my dad for to a certain degree but have no absolutely no regrets because um I mean, yeah the best thing for any guitar player is just to kind of yeah sponge off of every every type of genre really yeah. really kind of that's 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 what's going to make you what even if you end up just playing one type of music if you don't sort of like touch other genres it's going to be very limiting i think yeah but how old were you how old were you when the first Johnny Diesel and the Injectors record came out? Well, um, I was probably like 20, 21 when we recorded it. I think yep. it came out when I was 22. So, Because, um, man, there was, you, you're just so 
well-rounded as a player by then. Like, well, um, yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, that was, you know, that was a, a, a vehicle for that sort of uh, type of playing that really suited that band. Um, but, yeah, I guess by the solo record that came after that, a lot of other things that were, like, inside of me were, like, wanted that wanted to come out um, showed themselves on, on the first solo record. But, okay. but look, the, the first record is definitely, you know, I, I was like, this, these are the elements I got to work with and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this type of music for that. Yep. And, yeah, it was um, – it was really catering for that sound of that band, you know. Yeah. I didn't have an idea for a second album, you know. It wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't really a plan. In fact, that was, I guess, the the thing that was kind of a hard thing to get my head around was before I realized, oh, this is the problem. I need to be a solo artist, you know. And that's simple as that. And this is not gonna, you know. Um, then suddenly not making another album with this band suddenly makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was really a one-off thing, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You yeah. know? But I guess for people around are like, why? What happened? And I was like, well, that's how – and, I, I've, you know, if you look at my career, this, it's, been a, it's been a series of those type of things, you know. The blues record I made with Chris Wilson, for instance, what's happened, uh, you know, six, seven years after that. You know, that was a specialty one-off thing. And, and so, yeah, the first album I made with The Injectors was pretty much that as well. But I guess when, when you start out and you make an album, it's a massive thing. Uh, well, let's just say the biggest uh, debut of, by an Australian artist at that point of all time. Uh, the highest selling record of that year, people just expect it just to keep rolling. And it was like, no, nah. <laughs> sorry, I'm moving on to something else now. I'm like, yeah. what? You know, yeah. thankfully, my management at the time um, and just the people who were in my inner yeah, circle were just like totally. I mean, I'm sure there was a moments of kind of like, whoa, what's what's going on? But then they were like, no, nah. yep, okay, let's see. We're, what are we doing? You know, it was kind of. Just keep moving, keep yeah. moving forward. And, when, and once you've got a few songs, the cornerstones or whatever, it, it, it was pretty obvious. It was like, this is a different record. This is a different artist. This is a, an artist embarking on it the rest of his career. Yeah, so yeah. why, like, bog him down with, like, that one thing? It's yep. it's silly. So, cool. you know, for people that still come up and go, oh, you know, what happened? It's like, look, you know, it just happened and then it just didn't happen. So. Yeah. Yeah. Get over it. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I can say. But, <laughs> well, but I'm, I'm very chuffed that they still have a hub space in their hearts for that record. You know, yeah, of course yeah. I won't begrudge them for that, but yeah. you just have to, have to accept that not all bands stay together for 40 years or something like yeah. Rolling Stones. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, yeah. So what were you listening to in the early days, man? Um, I think, you know, for that first record, this, yeah, I mean, back then I was listening to a lot of my, my dad's blues stuff in his record collection. Jazz and blues um, goes without saying. You know, um, I really loved a lot of the Australian bands that were kind of just like taking that blues and making it. I mean, you know, ACDC, Rose Tattoo. You know, these were yep. bands that I saw playing in pubs that had a huge impact on me. Um, Rob Riley, you know, what an eloquent, beautiful guitar player and just a great pair of like hands that just make such good sound <laughs> and a great singer too. Um, yeah, I, I just wanted to kind of be sort of uh, bones and all, and, and uh, yeah, and not, not 
I'm really glad if there's anything that it's kind of like, whoa, that's pretty hard. Pretty hard. But we go, that's really, really overproduced. <laughs> Mark, you, the Skype is kind of just jittering a bit at the moment, mate. I'm not sure if uh, yeah. it's, it's good on your end. But have I turned into Max Headroom on your end? Because <laughs> it seems to have stalled. frozen. Yeah, I got a bit of a freeze. I tell you what, mate. What I usually do is Skype out and Skype back in again. Um, I'm going to try that and try and get you back in, and that usually works. So, give us a second there, folks. Sometimes that can fix it. Can you still hear me, Mark? I'm going to try and Skype out and Skype you back into you, mate. And that's why you guys tune in for the live because it's people are here for the train wreck. This isn't a train wreck. This is. Mm. Okay. How about now, Mark? Can you... Is yeah. that any better? Okay. I'm not... It's good. It's good for you. You're not looking so good on my end. But you know what? I can hear you a lot better. So that's oh. okay. Uh, mate, I'm just going to bring up something. I, I keep coming back to that first record. And I'm going to move on from that. Uh, it's just I like to get into the, the early days of how people get to mm. where they are. Um, I was sitting around at a friend's place uh, a couple of years ago. And I always thought, for me, a big influence on my rhythm plan was was Malcolm Young. And I always thought, I'm just trying to play like Malcolm yeah. or, or, or like Keith. You're coming good now. That's good. And I was at a mate's place. We have we may have smoked a little bit of the the, uh, the whoopee weed. It had been a while. And I was sitting there, and he put on the first record of yours. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking to myself, fuck me. If I didn't know better, I'd swear that's me playing guitar right now. <laughs> and thinking, <laughs> okay, no, nah, that's, just, that's just the weed sort of playing with me. And then my friend turns to me and says exactly what I was thinking. He goes, dude, if I didn't know better, I'd swear that's you playing right now. So that just shows how much that first record rubbed off on me as as a guitar player. Yeah. Moving on from that, though, I caught a couple of songs off um, Hep Fidelity um, in a shopping center. I was off playing a gig somewhere in like Mount Isa or something like that. And a song came on. Yeah, um, a song came on the on the radio in like Woolies or something of yours, and it's happened to me a couple of times around in local places, and the guitar sounds just jumped out as being so fucking good, man. Um, well, it's the Woolly speakers, you know. <laughs> but no, compared to compared to like to um, other stuff that was playing on there at the time, it just jumped out as sounding so good. So you've obviously always had an ear for tone. Um. Yeah. Look, I think I've had some really good help back like early on. But uh, yeah, I guess I do have an ear for for you know. I think if you've got an ear for music, you've got an ear for tone. So yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's just. You know, the, if you if you just let let it tell you what it wants, it usually does. You know, like yeah. you plug a guitar in, and it's like okay, yeah, okay. Um, you know, and you just tweak to taste. You know, you yeah. just find, um, it has to be something absolutely like diabolically just wrong to not be able to get a, a tone out of it. Um, 
So I've used all kinds of things. You know, when I say all kinds of things, I really mean all kinds of things. I've plugged straight into a Neve console, no amp, just straight into the desk itself. Use that as a sound. I've used little amps like this. I've taken a little amp like that, cut the grill off it, so the split, little eight-inch speaker is exposed, poured, uncooked. That was always a joke would say. Someone would say, was it cooked or uncooked? You idiot. Uncooked rice, okay? So raw rice, put the rice on the speaker, and that dances around and creates like a fuzz kind of sound. Mike wow. Lennon. Yeah. There's the, like When it comes to like wanting for a, yeah, a certain thing, you know, I'm, I'm not married to like, oh, it has to have valves, it has to be this, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. It's just like, you know, I think after my sound guy, what, what Warwick, told me in a car recently that one of the Jeff Beck albums is a pig nose. It just kind of, it's like, of course it is. It's Jeff Beck, you know? Yeah. Um, and then you can hear it. Once he told me, I was like, oh, my God, it is a pig nose. Through beautiful mic prees and some nice reverb and stuff, you know, compression. You could, yeah, of course. And then it's just the hands do the rest. But, um, yeah, I think I think tone is something that, again, the song usually dictates, you know, what, what the tone should be. But having said that, that Hope Fidelity record, I pretty much – exclusively almost used like the same amp all the way through which was a uh reissue basement that fender were doing at the time cool um and we just pull out the rectifier straight out of the music shop just get out put a solid state rectifier in sort of tighten it up a bit and then yeah it was like just that and a rap pedal that i could pretty much do everything with that and then my favorite trick back then was to uh slam like two DBX compressors, 160X is like one into the other. So you get one for the real fast attack and then one that sort of like gives you the sustain that kind of comes back really slow. So all those big blooming chords that you hear on that record are like it's going and as the oh, chord's yeah. getting, as the chord's supposed to get quieter, it gets louder. Yep. So that idea of playing something where you hit a chord and it's like you have the attack and then instead of it just dissipating and dying, it sort of comes up. Then you hit the next chord. I mean, that's just addictive for any guitar player. You, you set that up on any guitar player and they'll just have a grin from ear to ear. When you get that in time, you know, the next element is getting that rise and the release and the attack in time with the track. Then yeah. then you're really on fire. And that's yeah. what we did a lot on that record. And just, uh, we, we, okay, feeling good? Yeah, okay, let's do it. And a lot of, for me, still to this day, recording is a lot about getting the sound inspiring and then you know it's like of course you have to have number one a song you got to have a you know an idea of the part you're playing or at least a fair idea but yeah if you've got the sound all happening and it's gonna just happen you know that's my you set the stage you know then you put the all quality onto the stage all really good players actors whatever then go right action and just it happens you know yep, yep. if that that's that's part of recording it's, it's like setting up the scene and sounds are definitely that. Like when I've worked with other artists and then, you know, it's like, have you played much electric guitar? I'll say, you know, if they're an acoustic guitar player, and especially with like singer-songwriters, and they're like, no, you know, not not a lot, a lot of them. We go, well, look, just let me set up a sound for you. You just play. Because a lot of, I think a lot of people that don't play electric guitar, but play acoustic like almost exclusively. But the thing with electric that alienates them is, you know, it's like, oh, it's technical, you know. So if I set a sound up for them and get it all sounding really, like, inspiring, then just give it to them and then they'll play it. 
it's suddenly they're like, wow, I can do this. You know, it's, it's instantly instant gratification. And yeah. you know, when you're trying to get somewhere in the studio, you kind of need that to kind of speed things along. So yeah, that, that next album, I, I really expe- explored more with stuff like was with, with the first album was we tracked as a band altogether. I put a few overdubs on, but there was very minimal overdubs on it. And that was a fun way to do it. And I think, you know, for that, again, for that scenario with those, with those guys, um, with all of us, I should say, it was, we were a little bit, except for our drummer who had done a few sessions, but the rest of us were all pretty green with recording. So I was like, how's this going to work? And, you know, um, I was talking about this the other day, how before we got to actually go into the studio, well, we, we were shown the studio. We're like, here, here it is, boys. This is where you're going to make the record. And it was where Ardent, was that? You know, this legendary studio in Memphis called Ardent. Really beautiful studio. Nice. Kind of like the Ab- the Abbey Road of Memphis. Okay. And who did it? So we, um, Terry Manning. Thought so. So Terry Terry's done everything from the Stacks um, label stuff, but with like Al Green and Booker T and everything to you know, of course, ZZ Top. Yeah. Um, and everything in between, Fabulous Thunderbirds. And he, yeah, he, he knew just to kind of like let us do our thing. But before we, we actually went into the studio, so we got a tour of the studio and it was like, now we're going to go out to this garage on the outskirts of Memphis. And it was at literally someone's garage in their house and had been sprayed with this foam shit that just went all over the ceiling and all over the walls. So he w- went in there and it was just no, it was like being in deep space. There was absolutely no ambience. Yeah. And if you think ambience is important, like, it is like with music, it's basically <laughs> like the, it's it's you know it just puts clothes on it and makes it attractive. You know the sound that is. Yeah. Suddenly you are freaking naked, more naked than you could ever imagine, and everything just sounds like turd. And so we were like playing the songs, and we're like, oh, oh, you know, everything hurt. I was I was playing through. Now I'm gonna I'm just gonna like rat on it, but. Like, I love Seymour Duncan stuff, like some of the things that they've done, some of the pickups and everything, but that this amp that lived, that's, that was around back then called the convertible amp, yeah. just awful, okay? Yeah. Um, for me, anyway. It yeah. might have been good for just, like, playing little tiny club gigs, with you know, in the corner or whatever, but, but just did not like me, didn't like my velocity or whatever, yeah. and it was just going, oh, it was just carrying on, vomiting everything. Um and it just suddenly, I just hated every song. I hated myself. I hated my sound. I just hated everything. But he knew what he was doing because it was like, you guys, I'm going to make this. Everything you do is going to suck, you know. Then we're going to go backwards from there or forwards or whatever and ripped apart the songs, changed the arrangements. Not, not I wouldn't say like radically, but enough to kind of make them because we've been playing them live, you know, and live is one thing and – Recordings are, are completely different. It did, whatever's exciting live generally is boring as batshit in the studio or as a record, yeah. and we needed to learn that. And that's something that I've passed on to a lot of artists since then. It's just you know like okay, well that's 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 that might fly on stage in the in the moment of a live realm, but when you've got just two speakers to work with, and that's well, that's your realm now, left and right. Yep. And these days it's a freaking Bluetooth speaker that doesn't even have left and right. But you've got to make that canvas like explode. So what if it's extraneous long bits that are just are boring on record, get rid of them, you know, make it a record, you know, yep. you've got to make it exciting. Uh-huh. And he was teaching us that in 10 days in that garage. And so when we got back in the studio, we had all these different arrangements of the songs 
and we were allowed to like just be able to put headphones on and hear like oh god that sounds good yeah oh you know it was it was just like the we were given up sugar cubes and carrots you know yep like yep back in put in the pen you know here's yep. your sugar cubes and carrots now and um yeah it was actually the boot camp was i think the most important thing of the record really so yeah, absolutely. Cool. I mean, if we would have gone in there, we would have just acted like idiots and gone, we know what we're doing, and we didn't, you know. Yep, yep. I've had a so, few guests that have had Terry produce albums for them, um, both cool. uh, Bob Spencer and, and Rick Brewster, Spring yeah, Wind. that's right. They, uh, were, they actually they, they took the same uh, – well, they followed our path, actually, very not soon – not that far afterwards, I think. So yep. probably within the next 18 months they were over in Memphis. And they both yeah. said that Terry recorded their guitars through eight-inch speakers. Did he do anything yeah. like that with you? Um, yeah, we did. We didn't get into too much of that um, on on the first record. But when I when I started half of my next solo record, we were experimenting with just all kinds of things. I think, yeah, that I think my head really expanded in that to that idea when he it was uh, actually not even our recession. It was. I can't remember why. We, I think we arrived a little early the second time and we're just like hanging and he said, oh, come by this other studio on Beale Street. I can't remember the name of it, but it was where ZZ Top had set up and they weren't there, but he just said, come in and have a look and blah, blah. And he showed me, he said, this is what Billy's using. And I'm like, what? And it was this little transistor Marshall thing. Yeah. Again, no valves, no quad box, you know, yeah. nothing like that looks like, oh, that's going to be a big guitar sound. Big, I have to say, big and small that don't have any, uh, that just don't relate to being in the studio. Like a studio is a place where you can break rules and the biggest guitar sounds have come from the, the smallest things. And I learned that actually, if I didn't learn the lesson completely, but I just remember like years before that when we were doing some demos and I brought every piece of gear that I had and I borrowed some and I made this big wall, you know, and I said, I want a big guitar sound and, you know, mic it up. And of course the mics, most mics just can't even handle that sort of level. They just crap themselves. Um, the room starts compressing. So you end up getting smaller yeah. and then you listen to it out, you know, after it sounds big while you're doing it because you've got so much sound going on and it's bleeding through the walls and you're like, Oh yeah, that's, that's fun. Then you listen to it like at a low level through the speakers and actually listen to what you've actually recorded. And it's like, ooh, this sounds awful. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, look at all those Led Zeppelin records, little Supra, you know. Absolutely. And, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's just, it's it's a funny thing. And that, that's, you know, it's not like, yeah, sure, I can get a, uh, a, a quad box and a 100-watt head to, like, work in the studio. I'm pretty sure I have many times, but my – most of the time, yeah, what I've recorded is, yeah, like just one speaker is always a lot easier. Yep. And, yeah, like 20, 30, 40 watt amp at the most, you know. It's like yep. Yep. those type of like levels of sound just don't really don't really make it a rat's ass in the studio. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's making, it's creating the illusion, especially if you want to stack a few guitar sounds, you know, different parts, different sounds. Like the more like real estate you take up with just like, those kind of uh, muscular guitar sounds, unless you're going to be able to, you know, put on later. Absolutely. Now, mate, I, lately I keep telling my friends that I've really been wanting to get myself a Strat with a Floyd Rose 
uh, on it. And it wasn't until this morning when I whacked <laughs> on a film clip or two of the old injectors and yeah. I looked at it and went, oh, maybe that's where that inner desire for me to have a guitar it's like that sound. comes from. So I noticed um, your, yeah. your, your newer Fender signature model is very much like that black strat that mm. you were using back then, but without the Floyd Rose. Have you grown out of using that? Was that a, well, did you feel it I affected have. the I mean, sound? I think I could easily use one again, but it's just um, I don't know if I want to have to deal with the blocks and the the, the clamping down and all that rubbish because it, it's I I can pretty much flog a standard tremolo, like really give it a lot of uh, you know. <laughs> just really put the hurt on it, and I. It, it seems it, when I say it seems to stay in tune, it, it does stay in tune. I've got yeah. it to a point where I, I know which little bits to work on, and it, it takes a bit of again wrangling and maintenance and stuff. But no, it works perfectly, and that's amazing that Leo Fender, you know, did that. But having said that, the Floyd actually has a sound, and I, I don't, I don't mind that sound at all. I actually quite like it. It's real pingy. It's got this real ping, and. The feel of the spring and the, just the feel of the way the tremolo reacts is, again, different to because it's locked off. It's a little shorter scale, so it's a little bit more reactive. So a little bit of movement does a lot, yeah. and it's quite expressive, and I like that a lot. So, uh, yeah, I've been thinking about maybe getting one guitar and putting a Floyd on it again just for the, those characteristics. Yeah. But, for, you know, that's, what, that's why me and the Floyds just kind of finished, I guess, around the mid-90s because I was just sick of, like, all the spare parts all breaking all the time. Yeah, and yeah. Because of the, the gauge of string that I used, it really – those blocks never liked my strings. Really? Never, ever. No. So it what gauge are you using? Um, I've been using the same gauge for, for almost ever now, which is 12, uh, 16, 20, 32, 44, 56. Yeah, so it's 12 to 56. Quite Which is like um, usually for like people that tune down to C or B, but I'm in standard tuning, so it's it's it feels you know chunky, but because I've got big high frets, you can sort of get underneath, and it, it feels quite you know it, it's it's playable in a nice way. But you have to you know like kind of have intention. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's not a it's not a, a nine where you just we you know yeah you have to so, kind of cello hands cello hands. It's good. I, I just look at it as an extension of bashing an acoustic because when I'm playing an acoustic, that's kind of what it feels like. And when I went, get an electric, I don't want it to suddenly feel spindly. I want it to feel still like a like a guitar that I can dig into and yep. bending. Well, you know what? Just do it. You know. Uh, I, yeah, and hack action is another thing. If you want your guitar to sound better, like probably put the action up a bit so it's not buzzing out all over the place. You know, it's, yep. that's a pretty simple equation. Yeah. So do you yeah, find yourself everyone, playing? There's a whole group out there that think that the lower the action, it's like it's not a car, dude. It's it's not a Ferrari. It's a it's a musical instrument, and that string needs to breathe. It needs mm. to actually go boing boing like that and not hit shit. Do you yeah. understand? No, like low is not like oh look how low it is. No, it's, like, it's a fine yeah, line. It's listen, a fine listen line. Listen to how shit it sounds. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so you, you said about playing acoustic and and the heavier strings. Uh, I've known you in later on in your career to be playing mostly acoustic shows, yeah. Um, yeah, well, I mean, you say mostly acoustic. There's there's a bunch of acoustics in the rack when I do those these shows, but um, it's more and more now like almost half electric, half acoustic. Because I, when I started doing the the solo acoustic thing, I was like, hang on, 
why does it have to be acoustic? And I'm like, no one had an answer to that. So I was like, I'm bringing an electric. And just started sneaking more and more electrics into the show. And it's, it's like, this is more fun now. I mean, it's not like I don't like playing acoustic. It's, it's, that's a lot of fun for me. It's, yeah. I've made it. So I've got things to like have fun with, but different tunings. Um, and yeah, the, the mini has been great for that, the mini maiden, because I've, it's allowed me to have so many of them with me all the time because they're so small. I can yeah. fit like four of them in a bag. One's a drop D, one's a baritone, which is completely like off the planet because it's a short scale and it shouldn't even work, but I've found the right gauges. So uh, I've got a baritone, which is down to B. I've got a drop D. I've got a standard. That's just all the 12s. And sometimes I have a Mando 12, which is tuned right up high. So oh, it's cool. like octave strings, but then some octaves even above that. So it's almost like a mandolin. And that's really sweet and chirpy. And then I have a standard six, of course. Um, so that covers a lot of ground. And, yeah, having a Strat and a Falcon um, and the Gretsch Resonator, that's, that's pretty much the usual suspects for me on the road. Nice. Now you say Strat. Is that the the signature Strat? You yeah, got with Fender. Yeah, that's the only Strat I own at the moment. <laughs> really? I've uh, I've given or sold or just yeah, just shed everything else because um that that Strat is just like on another. It's on a very high pedestal. Cool. And, um, and what's that based as, on? It's based on a um, uh, it's kind of like it got a seventy sort of neck. Because that's the first strat I ever had was was a '70s with a bullet truss rod, yep, and had no tremolo at all. That was lent to me by this very, very, very generous fella, and um, yeah. So what when it became mine, I went and like took it to my guitar repairer, um, went to the music shop, bought the Floyd Rose, said, "Hey, let's put this on." It's like okay, drill holes through the bed stock, um put it all on and it was yeah instant kind of whoa this is fun um but yeah eventually that headstock snapped of course because it was quite it was a, the 70s were quite quite thin yeah. up that end and i think it would have stacked anyway with all the idiot things that i was doing with it yeah um so i got another replacement neck i got up to like neck number three on that particular body it was the black the original black body and then it ended up in the Hard Rock Cafe in Melbourne in the window, and I didn't see it for a few. They asked me for it, and I said, okay, yeah, sure, I'm not using it. I went in there and don't know where it is now. I'd love to know because um, that's long gone, of course, that, that establishment. But it, it got hit by the sun a lot every day in the same position in the window, and oh. it, the last time I saw it, the whole guitar, like the pit guard had all like, gone like this, the neck had kind of – it looked like a Salvador Dali painting. It was all like, really? you know, yeah, it was pretty, pretty messed up. Um, and that was the end of that. But um, to get back there with this strat has been pretty cool. Like, I, I, I didn't, yeah, I, I started having like kind of uh, feelings for it again. I thought, oh, I might build something, you know. And, and then Fender approached me, and it was really one of those kind of like, wow, this is really, I'm, I'm kind of humbled and I can't, can't believe this is actually happening so much that I just sort of forgot about it and then when it turned up it was like whoa you know and it, to boot like the one that I've, I've only had one particular version of it in my hand so I haven't had to go hey give me another one I don't like this one the first one I got 
actually, I, I, I tell a lie, this is the second one because the first one, it felt a bit, I didn't even play it or anything. I just grabbed it and went, mm, no, it's, it's not balanced properly. Can you try again make it? And it, I think they maybe lightened up the body or lightened up the neck or whatever, and then they came back and I was like, ah, oh, there it is. That's better. Cool. Then I took it and got it refretted. We put my big, big frets on that um, Frank Rubissa did here in Sydney. Yep. And, yeah, that's about it. Just, like, did my usual stuff with the uh, bridge and the nut, you know, just cleaned them up, made them all really, really happy. A um, little bit of wet and dry, a bit of lube. Put my strings on it, boom, you know, and then and first gig was, like, it just knew straight away. It was just, damn, this thing's this has got a voice. It's really, really got a voice. And it, cool. Just, I just love the the comfort of it. It's got a really nice. The neck is a little bit like the Eric Clapton. Uh, bit of a V. V. It's yep. got a V, but it's not like a like owl. You know, it doesn't yep. sort of feel like it's 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 a subtle. It's a subtle V, but it just fits in really nice there. Yep. Um, and the radius is not so like vintage curve. It's more sort of flat, sort of modern, which is cool for me. I've come to like that radius more. I think. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just a really it's just a humdinger. It's a yeah. really good one. Cool. But it's cool. arguably the best strat I think I've ever had. It's really? really that good. Yeah. Nice. And and just, the other strat you were talking about that was in the window at the Hard Rock Cafe, was that um the one that I mentioned was in the film clips back in the early days? Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's, that's the one. I mean that um went through so many changes. It ended up uh the original pickups which was seventies with the grey plates on the bottom. One of them died in Germany, went sort of uh, microphonic and just started, you know, no signal and just all noise. Yep. So we went into this music shop and I didn't know anything about these pickups, but the guy was like, um, yeah, take these. This would be really good for you. And it was the Damasio humbucking stacks, you know, the ones that Ingve uses. Um, and they were because it still sounded like a strap pickup, but there was no. Suddenly they were like really quiet, um, basically a humbucker in a in a yep. strat, you yep. know, shape. Put a set of those in, and that they lasted for a long, long, long time. And then ah, oh, tried a few other bits and pieces, but I think what ended up being the pickups that were in it when it went to the hard rock with the probably the second set of Damasios or something. I just with all the sweat and. You know, um, getting knocked around and stuff so much. Yeah, things were like getting destroyed quite a lot back then. Yep. <laughs> so, what pickups are in the um, the signature model? There's the uh, the Texas. Oh, sorry, the Texas Hot, whatever they call the yeah, Texas, Texas Specials. Special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a little a little bit overwhelmed, but not not super super. They they just sort of they gurgle and they sound like a sort of a they got that P90 ish kind of vibe. But yep. Australia is always going to be super. You know, um, pointy. You know, by default, yeah. a lot of it is to do with the the bridge. You know, and the, that cavity and the bridge block. It just goes ping. You know, so you need to pick up. In my humble opinion, that just sort of rounds off the edges a little bit. Sort of yeah. just chills it out a little bit. Um, tellies, yeah. Again, ouch. You know, tellies are a uh, great. They're, they're pretty pointy, so you need to yeah. kind of chill them out a bit. Yeah, they're so, still gonna they're still gonna like cut your head off in a good way. Yeah, yeah. But, um, I mean, you went on the road with Barnsley at quite a young age too. That was just mm. after the, well, the injectors. I think the injectors went and opened for him, didn't they? Or Yeah, well, yeah. That's, that's how that also happened because um, I wouldn't have met Jimmy if I wasn't sleeping on. Um, our, well, he wasn't officially our manager at the time, but Brent Eccles, um, 
it brought us all over the Nullarbor and it organized a couple of months of just nine shows a week just to see if we were going to survive. Basically, it was an acid test. It really was. Like, it was, it was first, let's get over this hurdle. Um, you know, there was no talk of like, then you're going to make a record and then you're going to do that. It was just like, no, nah, come over to Sydney. I've got nine shows a week. Let's just see how we go with that. Nine shows a week. Okay. Um, and it was in that first week um, that he was in the studio doing some drumming for Jimmy and he just said, yeah, I've got a guitar player sleeping on my couch. Um, can I bring him in? And Jimmy said, yeah, of course, bring him in. And well, yeah, I walked in, literally amp was set up in a second, which was my 200 watt high watt that I had brought over. And <laughs> I was playing in amongst every, it, uh, it was Rick Brewster, um, Jimmy Hilburn and, and Brent on drums. So it was just the four of us in the end, Jimmy, of course, on vocals. And it was it was just loud as like I'd never experienced before in a in a control room. And then at the end of that day, sort of mentioned that I was doing a few gigs and blah blah blah. And then he came down to one of the gigs that we were doing, which was a Tuesday night at the Middle Harbour Skip Club. And that's when he saw, I think, the last you know few songs of the set. And he said, "Well, that was really good. I want you to come and do this tour." And I said, "I said no." I just oh, said, really? No. I, yeah, I just said I can't. I said, I've just brought this band over the Nullarbor. And he was like, oh, yeah, of course, I get it, yeah. Well, then you can do the support as well. And then, you know, I think Brent and I just looked at each other and went, okay. <laughs> it was like, no, it wasn't my love, we'll get back to you. It was just like, yeah, okay. Um, so we kept doing our little nine shows a week around Sydney and then we took off. Uh, within probably two, three months or something, that, that yeah, we'd do some rehearsals and things were just like flying um, as, as far as like, you know, it was definitely no a lot of not a lot of idle time, and yeah, that's that's when I literally still had only um, the black strat, a red profile which had been stripped, was a profile which I see now um, of squires and profiles from that period are selling for like crazy money now. Yeah. I just had a was a profile strat stripped and then stained and then lacquered it kind of had this like reddish violin finish that my friend george did in perth and we put bill lawrence pickups in it the, the original ones the, yep. the really really nice ones floyd rose of course and that was like my spare guitar but it was actually quite quite a quite a weapon like i used that on a, a lot of stuff because it had more of a kind of a more of a uh, mid-rangey kind of sound of course a rosewood neck uh, different to maple neck which was the black one so i had a rosewood and a maple neck strat both with you know set up pretty pretty nicely um and jimmy had this guitar that he just bought in san francisco and it was like a project someone had done some awful things to it but it was it was a 60 i just re, just recently got it restored by frank rubissa and to its original original kind of vibe and give gave it back to jimmy because i thought that was it's a nice gesture but he gave me that it was a gibson melody maker jr which ironically is my was my first guitar, which was a Melody Maker Junior, and this one was the real cheese board one that like Joan Jett plays, you know. Yep. It just had one big stupid like distortion sort of humbucker whacked in it, just horrible. But um, it was good for kind of just like a few rhythm parts here and there. Beautiful piece of wood. It's like it's '68, you know, beautiful old Brazilian woods, and um, so it was like wow, I've got three guitars now, you know. 
But that was that was a very Jimmy thing to do. Like he just loves giving things to people. It's like yeah. he bu- he buys things, um, and inevitably he doesn't keep a lot of things for himself. He's always like going, you know, here have this, have that. And have. Really? But he does buy. Two. The, the joke is he buys two of everything, and I don't know why because it's like he knows he might end up with one if he buys two. Sure. Because between family and just him like giving things, he's the most generous person I think I've ever met. Okay. Um, yeah, he might end up with with one. So <laughs> that's why he buys two. But yeah, the, that guitar was like the first kind of like bit of vintage guitar that I'd ever sort of gotten to, you know, feel it was, wow, this is mine. It's cool. And then I sort of, I found an old, um, again, a Bill Lawrence pickup at uh, Troy House of Music in Melbourne. It was just sitting there in a box. I said, How, can I have that? And I was like, yeah. Someone had brought it in. It was like, put that in and that's that was what was in there for a long time that was much much nicer than whatever was in there some kind of super distortion thingy it's yeah. just like yeah man it, it strikes me that you say you, you don't have that many guitars i thought you'd <coughs> be one of these guys that just has you know a room or a warehouse full of them um you know i just i'm not really into the whole it actually upsets me and hurts my feelings to see guitars not being used uh by anybody in particular, yeah. and especially myself. I just don't believe in, you know, hoarding or just having them for the collecting sort of thing. It's like just so I can say I've got this many. I like to use everything I've got. And if I, I have ended up with a few things that I think, you know what, I've got this now. You were really good. You were a catalyst, but now you can be someone else's, you know. Like I like giving them to my family, friends, or, yep. you know, a charity or something. Yep. Um, because – yeah, I mean, there is that quest. I have to say there's a quest for the ultimate sort of like, like I've been searching for, you know, really great Hofner bass for years and I found one recently at the bass centre down in Melbourne. And it's at 66 uh, Sanitar and it's, it's just like, yeah, it's the definitive Hofner bass for me. So I've had other like hollow body things with flat wounds and stuff. I just, you know, let them go because it's like I've got that now. It's like tick box, you know. Yeah. I don't believe in having like multiples like why – like I can I can see why you want to have twenty Telecasters, but I like just two good ones is, is good enough for me. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. like, and I've got a really good example of a Tele, and it's so good that I've had four attempts. I think it is from getting ones made by the custom shop, and they arrive, and I'm like, mm, you know, it's good. It's not like it's bad or anything. But then I'll go and pick up the old faithful, and it just it just was. It's just like ah. Oh. Some Sorry. guitars just have a magic about them, don't they? Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it's not fair comparing a guitar that's had, you know, what is now 50 years of, like, to get a shit together to kind of to something that's just been put together too. That's that's always a bit of a, you know, it takes, you know, at least a couple of years for a guitar to settle, I, I find, yeah. you know. Um, man, man, I had what was amazing about my signature Strat, actually, because I, I thought, oh, you know, it's a new guitar. How much am I going to love this, you know? But it just felt like instantly um, – the only thing I had to do to make it feel – like literally feel better was I, I took all the hard war off um, and just got triple zero steel wool and just got rid of that sh- really shiny, shiny black finish and just yep. made it like matte. Yep. But it, it just – it only takes, took, took me 40 minutes to do that. Yep. And it just instantly felt not so squeaky and – you know. Yep. Some people just, you know, love – the guitars to be shiny, shiny forever, but it kind of bugs me. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you, man. If they're too nice, you don't want to let 
anybody play it? Yeah, or... man, like you know, it's not like a car or something, you know. Yeah, yeah. But fast forward to now, I do believe you've got an album coming out on the. If I have a look at my little whiteboard down here, the twenty eighth of August, Sunset Suburbia. Mm. Tell yeah. us about that, mate. Um, well, this record was actually finished around February March of this year. We were going to put it out earlier, but because you know COVID and everything, it's just kind of. Um, we just thought, you know what? There's no no rush. Um, the tour that, that we were going to do has been moved literally like almost a year, like more like 10, 10 or a half, 11 months, the band tours now in 2021. So we've just sort of elongated it a little bit. And, yeah, that's that's totally fine by me. I think I probably um, kind of uh, finished the record a lot quicker than I thought I was going to, so that kind of accelerated stuff. But, um, yeah, um, it's been a kind of a – everyone's had to kind of adapt to the, this this kind of – suddenly there's like a big hole, you know, and you sort of go, okay, well, um, touring is off the, off the mat, off the, uh, off the menu for a bit. So I've been, yeah, I've started another record in the meantime. Um, cool. Which, uh, yeah, a blues record because I felt, um, one thing I haven't done is I've done a solo this and a solo that, but I haven't made a, a solo blues effort where it's just literally just me doing everything. And, um, kind of out of necessity to a large degree um, because when I started it, we were really, really locked down. So I couldn't just say, hey, come on over, you know. Yeah. And, yeah, it, it's kind of turned into like a, yeah, a um, whole new sound for me, That which, yeah, I'm hopefully people are going to dig it. Cool, cool. And you've got a, a launch on the 29th at Lazotte's in Newcastle. Man, I've got to say, that's a fucking fantastic venue. I've played that one a few times. It's Um, a good one. Beautiful. My brother and sister-in-law made it really cosy for the patrons and and the musicians alike, you know. First time I ever played there, um, my friend Dave Leslie, who you know, uh, made the trip up from Sydney to come and see me play. I was playing in a Queen tribute show at the time. Um, and That's a tough gig. Mate, that was that was a really cool gig. That was a really cool. Yeah. Gig. Um, not, not the easiest thing doing Brian Brian May stuff. Wow. No, no, head. no. Um, it was a lot of fun though, man. Like technology now. I actually had a guy on a week or two ago who was the guitar player from the We Will Rock You musicals, and he didn't have the the technology then when he was learning it to slow <clears> things down the way I did because everybody was saying, "Man, your vibrato and everything's exactly like the record." Yeah. It's because I was slowing it down and learning it slow and then speeding it up oh, yeah. and really cop the feel. But Dave wow. made the trip up from Sydney up to Newcastle to come to, to that particular venue because he just said, man, oh, you haven't yeah. been there before. Lizotte's Newcastle is just amazing. And yeah, man, kudos to your brother for having yeah. such an awesome chain of restaurants, theatre well, restaurants. I mean, only the one now, but for a while there you had Central Coast, DY and Newcastle, but it was a choice of uh, life versus uh, work. You know? oh, so it's, it's down to the one now, is it? To the one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's so much happier now that he's not spending too much of his life on the Pacific Highway, <laughs> like just driving, driving in between them all. You know, it's just too much. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think when you uh, know that Brian started in, in the music uh, business catering for bands and studios, you know, like when – Bands used to have recording budgets that would allow for catering. 
Yeah. Um, those were the days. Um, yeah, he, he really kind of uh, has that affinity with the artists. And I think that's because that's when the, when punters come, you know, our beloved punters come into that room, they feel something whether they realise it or not, but the love is coming from the, the bands being so happy there to start with and the affinity that he has with them. And, you know, I think any musician would tell you that some gigs that you do annually, thankfully for me, I can't say there's a lot of them, but sometimes you just turn up and you go, wow, I really feel that music is not very welcomed in this establishment, but yeah. I'm going to do my gig anyway. Yeah. You know, you just have to turn the other cheek. But And if you can't have that ideal and you can't just sort of go, you know, respect me, love me, you know, like that's an ideal and you, you have to let go of that. You just got to do your gig. And I, I, I've learned not to take it personally, but sometimes you just think, wow, I feel about as welcome as a fart in a spacesuit in this gig right now. Um, but the punters are here and that's all that matters. And I'm going to play to them. But the venue does matter. You know, it's nice to turn up and feel like you really are welcomed that day, you know, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. not just some like, Oh, don't we got the pokies, we got the bistro, we got other ways of making money. We don't really give a fucking shit about you, but hey, come on in. You know, it's like that kind of mentality, which is the worst um, case scenario. I know that's a terrible picture to paint, but occasionally we do cop that as musicians, and I think any musician can say that. And it's like, whoa, music, music's really an afterthought in this place. Yeah. You know, but hey, we'll, we'll still say thank you for even just having music. But God, you yeah. can learn some, you know, some some appreciation. But, and that, yeah, that we, goes down to, um, to the audience as well. And I just remembered something just yeah. now hearing you talk about that. Um, I saw you a few years ago now at the Lone Star Tavern here on the Gold Coast. And you were playing acoustic. And there was this one drunk woman who had her back to you and was just talking over the most quietest parts. And this, I, this, I reminded of this last night. I went and saw Jeff Martin play just down the road here, and exactly the same thing. There was a table full. Yeah, that was the first time out for a while. Yeah, but um, I had a table full of pissed dickheads beside me who. We're showing each other shit on their phone during the whole thing, uh, yeah. and not paying attention to the to the music. How do you deal with that? Do you just tune people like that um, out? It's I yeah. It's you just sort of. I think if you let it affect you, it's probably you're going to regret it. That's one thing I've learned. Although it's really hard not to sometimes because we're human. You know, we're not like machines, and I'm. I've, you know, I've exploded a few times on stage and then, uh, you know, because I don't drink at gigs and I haven't done for a long, long time, I, whatever explosion happens, it's, it, it's kind of like I sober up pretty quickly and go, oh, I wish I didn't do that because yeah. <laughs> now I, I just hate myself for that. Yeah. Um, but I, the back of my mind still goes, no, you know what? You had, you're just human and and they've got no respect or that, you know, one particular person or that table or whatever it is. And it's like, you know, you've paid your money yes to come in, but you know, just stay home. Like yeah. I actually, I, I don't love money that much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you're going to do that, just stay home yeah. because these people, the majority, thankfully, they already, you always have to think about the majority and they've all come to like experience music and forget about everything. Um, and yeah, looking at crap on your phone is, is hardly forgetting about everything. So 
if my job is to give escapism to people, then let me do that. You know, I'll, I will do that for you. I'll, I'm pretty sure I can do that. But if, you, if you're just going to, you know, not even give me any attention, then how can I do my job? You know, that's all man, I can say to that. Man, I, I just remembered actually um, doing a gig at Lazotte's in DY with that Queen show I was talking about. And man, you, your, your brother actually had on the menus, please turn off your phones and respect the artists. And there was a woman, the very front table, very front seat at the front table, like basically right at my feet with her back to me on her phone. She was so engrossed in that phone that our singer came over and sort of looked over the, over the top and went, how's Facebook going there, love? She was completely oblivious. The whole yeah. room started heckling her. She was completely oblivious. It took for somebody to get up yeah. out of the crowd, walk up to her and take the phone out of her hand for her to even <laughs> realize that the whole place was just laughing at her going, why are you here, love? Like, yeah. come on, you're here to he's, see some music. Oh, no, it's, look, I've seen this movie myself. But, yeah, I mean, I, I thankfully, uh, I just, yeah, I, I don't think I'll, I'll ever, like, not be affected by it. That's, that's, that's impossible. But yeah. I've learned to just kind of, uh, right, I have to rise above it. You know, you just have to, you have to kind of, I don't want to be down there, like, because I know, I know how it feels. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm, that's where you just kind of go, you know what? I'm just going to go into the music because that's where kind of I am, am 90% of the time anyway. Yeah. And, and just like tune into the sound that I'm making and just like put the bubble in because it's like music is, is, yeah, I'm here to, I'm here to get intoxicated with the music. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, in a couple of hours' time, I'll be in a car, you know, like, and it's like that's the best part of my day. I'm not letting anyone like rob that from me. Yeah. Mark, I know you said you only had an hour that you could spare, mate. We've we've just hit that, so I'm going to cut to the yeah. um to the the chat room there and just run a few questions by you if you've still got a couple of minutes to go, mate. Sure. Um, Nato, I saw that you're in there, buddy. Type in that question that you spent sent me personally the other day, mate, because uh, I'd like to ask Mark that myself. But I'm just going to scan through quickly. There's a lot of kudoses there. Um, let's see. Question. Ditching the Johnny Diesel Diesel name, is that was that a record company or business decision? Um, that was my decision. It wasn't anyone else's. I, you know, I mean, it's pretty obvious I wasn't going to keep calling it that because it wasn't, you know, that, that was those particular people and would have been like just carrying the name and going, well, it's the same thing, but it's different people now. It's like, nah. But I did figure out that, you know what, people have gotten to know that part of it, so I'll just keep that, and then we don't have to, like, uh, yeah, get too complicated here. <laughs> and we actually did it in stages because the very first single, if anyone's got it out there, the Love Junk single, which came before their record, and still had Johnny Diesel because I actually did that artwork myself. <laughs> it looks like it too. Well, that was the whole idea. We, I wanted it to look cottage, you know. It was like – and. Um, they're like, no, we're not going to redo it. We're going to use your actual cutout, whatever letters I'd used, and we'll stick it on there. I was like, okay. Um, and then it was like a transition of like, drop that, just keep the diesel. Um, yeah, but the band was named after the bass player, I have to point out again. It's like I was never intended to have that name. It was, it was a nameless band that played every Tuesday night in this little bar in, in Perth, and 
And suddenly someone made a joke about him because his name was John Delzell, and that was it. It was like, that's funny. Put it in the paper for a couple of weeks and so we can all have a giggle and then things, you know, just didn't bother to change it. Yeah. Mate, it's got here so, that a live rig rundown would be a fantastic watch. So next time you're up in my neck of the woods, I'm going to hit you up and come around to yeah, a, maybe pre-show. And That'd be really cool. Through, yeah, if, if you're up for that. Well, especially because I have a new system now that is uh, yet to be kind of really showed properly, and it's probably the most um, bespoke pedal board that I've ever owned. Well, not probably. It is. It's, it's kind of like on par with the peak Cornish rig that I had in the 90s, which was uh, very much built for me. And this one's the same, but just in a pedal board version, which is everything that I need in uh, in, a, in a pedal form and completely custom-like designed, all the ergonomics of it, all the way it sort of is for my how my feet fit on it and stuff. It's, oh, cool. it's just amazing. Yeah. It's not just get a board, put pedals on it, cable tie it, there's your pedal board. It's a completely custom design it's like you know i think i think i said something along the line when i first saw it I was like wow man because i've been watching the game of thrones trailer at the beginning when they show all those things going up and down like this it's all like cgi you know it's like whoa it's like game of thrones thrones pedal board funnily enough you're talking about the cornish rig there um one of the questions is tell us about the ridiculous cornish rig from the 90s how did that come about well, you say ridiculous, I say beautiful. Um, <laughs> it was it was pretty ridiculous. When it got to three, oh, not, not ridiculous if, you, if your gear is only traveling in semi-trailers uh, or, or containers that get loaded on ships, you know. Uh, but so beautiful in the sense of, like, every cable and every little component was just, yeah, put together so, so well and there was no need to put a noise cancelling thing at the end of it or anything because everything cancelled itself that cleaned the power even got cleaned along the way like plug it in and the power gets cleaned like that's peak Cornish's um wow. ethos you know yeah um yeah well that was you know I, I wanted a bunch of things i was like i want this i want that i want this i want all these sounds that are now you know miniaturized like like you know what's happened to everything in this world recording you know what's what's what the, what the iPhone is capable of doing in this big, you know. Yep. Um, that was as small as it could get back then for what I wanted. I, I wanted all these rack rack effects, you know. Um, but now, yeah, I mean, the quality um, of sound that I can get for all those effects that I need um, just for one-offs, especially with like, like the HX effects that I've got from Line 6, that wasn't in existence back then. That was the, the specs of it, that the the chips didn't exist. Yeah. Now it does, you know, so I can have all that and then have my boutique pedals and, and everything's, um, the signal chain is, you know, just perfect. There's no like dumbing it down. And I know that plugging in here and coming into my amp, I'm not going like, oh gee, I wish it sounded like I could just plug, like it does when I just plug straight into my amp. Um, I know I'm not you know, missing out on anything. Yep. And, uh, yeah, it's like, if anything, I know what plugging straight into an app sounds like. Yeah, I, I do it all the time when I'm recording. But then I go through a bunch of, you know, things to make it, hype it up even more. Um, but, yeah, on stage, I think that's kind of like, I wouldn't say it's un underrated or overrated, I should say. But, yeah, I do love a few pedals at the front that just really make like, you know, make the signal kind of come, come to life, you know. So that whole thing of, like, 
oh, it's, just, it's not as good as plugging straight into the amp. It's like, yeah, well, we know what that sounds like. It's pretty flat, actually. <laughs> um, you know, let me show you this pedal and see if you like going straight in after that, you know. I bet you don't, you know. So, yeah, for that that pedal for me is probably number one is that the first compre- the compressor that I'll put at the front, which is not so much of a squishy squishy. It's just like a wake-up wake up call for everybody. It just goes, bam, and then hits the wah, and then just keeps going after that. So it's there's a few buffers along the way, but, yeah, um, it's all about the right gain structure. Cool, cool. Especially, you know, I use pretty low wattage amps a lot of the times, so little 15-watt Fox um, AC-15s and AC-30s, which, you know, that's 30 watts of EL-84. And, but because I've got so much good, clean gain along the way, I can sort of build it up. Um, and uh, make it sound a lot bigger than just the 30 little watts, you know. Nice. I've also got another question here about the backstory on the Maiden Minis that you use live. I'm going to let you answer that, and I'll be back in in 30 seconds, mate. But if you just want to talk about that, I'll be right back. Well, yeah, the Maiden Mini was a travel guitar, and it really just started as a little gift that came my way when I was living in New York and made by Mark Mulborg at Maiden, who's now um, since departed, but he was the foreman there. He just would make these little guitars out of leftovers, like remnants of wood in his shed at home. And I got hold of one and I said, this thing actually would be probably really good if we put a pickup in it so I could play it at the gig. And he was a bit like, "Uh, really? We've got like proper ones to do that. And I was like, yeah, but I think this one won't feed back as much because it's smaller and doesn't have that body that's just going to be problematic. And lo and behold, it definitely was a lot a lot louder, a lot less uh, prone to feedback. And, yeah, then I asked him for a 12-string on the success of the 6-string. And, again, he said, oh, I'm not sure that's going to work with a small body, but let me give it a go. And, yeah, came back. With the first 12-string, which I've still got here, doesn't go on the road anymore because it's like the magic flute. And, um, yeah, the rest is, I guess, the history, as they say. And then they started making them in the factory with the maiden name on it. But they've started out as Moran's, made out of Mark Mulborg's um, garage. <laughs> awesome. Well, they sound they sound absolutely huge. It, um... Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's a testimony that when you're plugging it in, especially with a band, with me, you don't need all the body. The body's not going to do you any good, really. It's just going to cause feedback problems. So get rid of the bulk and just get the sound. And the mids, mids are like what a lot of acoustic guitar um, players kind of forget that you still need mids. And part of my acoustic guitar sound on stage is the clean DI but blended with the amp sound, and that gives it that real front. Because, yeah, I mean, my favorite acoustic guitar records like Neil Young and stuff, they've got – you know, they've got that saturation and that dirty 1176 compressor sound that kind of gives it that real prominence in the harmonics, you know. It's not just a clean DI. So blended a clean DI with um, some dirt, you know, it's always a good combo in, in my books. Yeah, I, I, it, it's, you know, the thing you can't forget about acoustic is that it's acoustic, yes, but at the end of the day, it's still guitar. And guitar needs mids. Yeah. You know, it needs harmonics it just it, to make it sit out in the mix. There's a question here. It says, I know it's not chit chats with Vox Cats, but Mark is a world class <laughs> blues whaler. Talking about your singing. Is this learned um, or is this just who slash what 
He is. Even oh, his speaking yeah. voice has that has the feels. Good question, <laughs> Sharpie. Thanks, man. Thank you, person. I'm not sure if it's male or female, but that's, that's Michael Sharp. He's a good friend of oh, mine, cool. Sharpie. Yeah, look, you know, um, I just, uh, yeah, I mean, it just seems to resonate with me. Um, and I don't, yeah, I, it's not like uh, I, I make a real conscious thing about it, but when I open up my mouth, it's sort of what comes out. So, uh, yeah, thank you. That's a real compliment. But, yeah, I mean, singing for me, like everything, I'm, I'm still, like, trying different things, um, working on different little rooms in the house of my voice. It's like a house and you kind of like find different little rooms and kind of explore. And yeah, the, the, the best thing for me is just like be like singing all the time, you know, because uh, it's a muscle at the end of the day. And uh, yeah, like as much as I don't want to do like eight shows in a row, <laughs> it's quite challenging and everything. But I tell you, when you get to like five and then you go, whoa, I'm, I'm, blowing out here and then you just hit this like power band and it's just you know and that's something that um yeah there's no there's just no substitute for that that you just yeah it, you, you've got to use it it's like anything you know like you can't be like a world-class rugby player and not be just playing all the time you know it's a bit like that for singing with me so when did you start singing mate did you start before you started I, you playing know, guitar? It, was, it was kind of shyness that sort of stopped me i think to be at the beginning, I was like a bit reluctant, and I was in bands with singing, so I'd be like, "You, do, you know, it's cool, you do that." And then slowly but surely, kind of got pulled out of me. And then when I got um, ousted from the band that I was in uh, for being too loud, can't imagine that would ever be the case. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was when I sort of had to pick up the slack, you know, because the other guys were like, "Well, you know." We're going to stay with you, but you're going to have to, you know, you're going to be the singer now. Um, it's like, whoa, the first couple of gigs, not a problem. And then you realize, shit, um, you know, you blow out your voice so badly the first gig. And then you realize, damn, how am I going to do this again? And that just comes with experience, you know. Yeah. Um, I can do things with my voice now that it sounds like I'm maybe really pushing it or, or, or hurting it or whatever, but I'm not at all. It's, yeah. it's uh, in my talking voice and my singing voice are like in, they live in different houses, which is pretty funny. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just I think you, you still use this part of your body to shape the sounds, no doubt that it comes from around these area. But I, I the more that I use other like the rest of my body, especially my abdomen, abdomen, my bread box, or yeah. Um, the, the, the less strain and that's that's a relaxing thing i think uh yeah the moment you, you i tense up i really really try not to but like when stuff is happening or something technically goes wrong it's just like relax because the minute you ten, tense up that's when you start doing things like yeah. and then you, you kind of have to like dig yourself out of the dirt take might take you two songs uh but no one might even notice, but you know. Yeah. And, yeah, being really, really relaxed is your best friend, like with your vocal cords. That's one thing I've learned. Cool. There's another question yeah. here from, from Big Fella Link. Does Mark find expression easiest by voice or guitar? Um, 
I find it easiest probably when I'm doing both of them together. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not like I'd, I, uh, yeah, I can obviously I can sing without playing guitar and I can play guitar without singing, but it's when I'm recording I notice it's like, you know, it's just a bit more conscious, you know. Yeah. Uh, Self conscious. And that's a beautiful thing. I was actually thinking about this. It's funny you should ask this question because I was thinking about this this morning about how, yeah, it's just, a, it's a real kind of fluid thing when you're playing and singing together. And um, fluidity is, is the ultimate thing, you know. And, and I think when when I'm singing and playing, it's just, yeah, I do things that I probably wouldn't do if I was separated them, you know. Yep. They, they, they come together in this alchemy sort of thing. It's pretty amazing. It's funny Even that, mate. I, I, I've done a bit of work as in production over the years, and I've come across people who are singer-songwriters, singer-guitar players, and they go to do the vocals without the guitar in their hand, and then something all of a sudden is missing. So it's like, yeah, hey, man, put, 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 put this guitar on. We're not plugged in. Yeah. It's drama. And, and I think just the whole way you're talking about using your diaphragm and everything, they're yeah. used to anchoring a certain way when they're playing guitar. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's also that's... Like- the lilt, you know, finding the lilt, you know, that lilt in the song, the, the space, yep. the pocket, as they say, you know, yep. finding that pocket. Um, it really, yeah, it can really, it's been the magic. Um, fix it a few times I've in, in studios with people. It's like, what's going on? You know, I'm like, let's, uh, you know, hang on. Let them play guitar. <laughs> and then we'll see, like, if, we'll do a take like that and see if it just feels more natural, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there it is. Incredible. I'm going to squeeze in just one more question because I know you, you said you did have places to be. Uh, hey, Rick, can you ask Mark about his time in New York and using Fender Blues Juniors? Hmm. Yeah. Well, I went to New York with no uh, no pecan drink. <laughs> it was in storage here. And I kind of – it was kind of fun to start a build, a building a, a little – I must have kind of knew, knew that – like whatever I, I'm going to need in the in New York is not going to be that big, you know. So I had one little uh, Blues Junior, sorry, Pro Junior, not Blues, very similar size, but Pro Junior's just got two knobs, just tone and volume, very simple. But it's it's probably arguably the the most boxy sounding Fender amp you could ever find because it's two EL84s, a 15 watt sort of design, and a 10 inch Jensen speaker, so it's got really nice distortion. Um, hot mids, really hot mids. And um, I started doing little shows around the East Village, um, places like Mercury Lounge and um, Brownies and Eileen Grocery was where I ended up doing the most shows. And I was like, this is good, but when I get out of the rehearsal room, I needed sort of more firepower, so I went and bought another Pro Junior and just had running in stereo. Yeah. And that was funny because I'd, I'd been away from uh, little – combos or just little amplifiers for a long time being with the peak Cornish rig with power amps and it was you know it was a massive system so getting back to like gurgling amps that were kind of like on the edge of like feedback all the time was kind of really exciting and and fun but having said that it only didn't take me long before i was like this is good but i miss the kind of chunk you know i miss the kind of a bit of chunk headroom yep and I knew that if I brought a bigger amp on stage, it would just kill everything, kill the band um, that I had at the time. So 
I bought a MIG 50, which was a Sovtech little 50 watt head. And I, the ones I, found a, I found a 212 Vox cabinet. And what I did was at Arlene Grocery, I'd stick it under the stage and sort of hide it, squirrel it away, and just run a signal to that as well. So when I was up there on stage, I could hear this kind of, you know, kind of body, but it wasn't in some, it wasn't hitting people's heads. Yep. It wasn't hitting my head, but it just gave it this like secret weapon sort of thing. So I had yep. two little little practice amps basically on stage and then put this 50-watt chunky thing underneath the stage just kind of giving it some some power. And <laughs> it was pretty, um, pretty kind of uh, unorthodox, but it was good. It was just kind of like – I think when you get used to the same gigs, you start like – tweaking it you know you start going this is good but what can i do to like make it even better you know it's like a house like the house band sort of thing they get really comfortable and set up and that's kind of what i was doing there so yeah when i got back i I brought those two little amps on this for this tour and i was with um i had richard neitz doing guitar taking on that one and he kind of looked at me and went you sure you want to use those boss and i went yeah yeah i'm really used to them i'm like look man you know It'll go through the PA. It'll be huge. He was like, okay. He's like, you don't mind if I, I'm just going to go to the Midnight Oils lockup and get a couple of AC30s. I'm like, yeah, okay, sure, you know. He went and got these AC30s that had been on the road with Midnight Oil, and um, there were reissue ones. They weren't like old vintage ones, but they were like really good, like good versions of them, and put me into one of those in one of those like two stereo one each side of the drum kit and i was like yeah what was i thinking <laughs> and then, then that, that started my because that was my first real like i'd use boxes in the studio um love them yeah but i'd never used them for a live thing so that was my that that's when i went down the rabbit hole with vox again you know but when i you know as i started this talk tonight uh not by choice, but by just sheer luck, my brother left me that AC50. So my, my love affair with amps started with Vox. And so, it's, yeah, it is pretty amazing that I'm still, you know, a Vox lover after all these years. But it's an addictive sound. It's just chime um, and harmonic content. And it's just in spades. And then, you know, I can just put pedals on top of that, you know, if I want different flavors and stuff. But that chime and harmonic content is just, yeah, it's, it's so addictive <laughs> so you know? somebody's just asked whether you think um that it's true that a lot of the older ones have got that magic with the exact question is it truth or nostalgic myth that the tone from 1960s vox ac 15s or, or 30s sounds so much better than present day vox um you look you know there's always something that's pretty special about a vintage uh piece of gear but i, I find up until now uh yeah, that might have been the case, but in the last few years, they've done some models like, well, the Heritage, which sadly they stopped making, but there's enough of them around. The Heritage series ones are, yeah, they're pretty, yeah, there's nothing that I lust, lust for with those. It's just like, yep, yeah, there it is. And the speaker, you know, the Blue Bulldog has got a lot to do with it, I think. But the less kind of stuff on the design, um, as in the circuit itself, pulling it down, the better. Like, the, the older ones were, you know, pretty simple. Like when they, the ones with like this channel and that and more stuff on it, it's like, nah, they, they generally don't get the, they get the wooden spoon for me. So the ones that are just, yeah, simple top boost, just, 
yeah, and you can you can run one channel into the other if you want. Um, but I generally don't run them past like whether it's an AC15 Heritage or AC30 Heritage, which is what I use mostly. Um, it's on about two, you know. I just I set it up as clean and as loud as I can. I don't go for the. There's a few different modes that you can make it sound bigger and louder and more distorted, but it's like no, nah, it's not headroom. So I I set it up. The cleanest, the loudest it can be, and then I build on that with my pedals. You know, that, that's that's proves to be the best thing for me. Yep. So, um, few people have you know commented when they plug into them, they go, you know, it's just cool. loud. <laughs> or they just couldn't figure it out, you know, because it's pento triode, two modes, you know, um, and then another bass boost here. Generally, the bass boost is just a pain in the ass. It just really muddies it up, muddies it up, I should say. Um, and it kind of, it's like fun, you know, when you, especially with a strat, you sort of pump it in and go, oh, that's fat switch. And it's like, nah, you know, it's just yeah. like, it's just mess. Man, for me, a Vox, you need a treble booster. Uh, I never tried one yeah. until I was doing the Queen thing. And then Greg Fryer would send me um, treble boosters to beta test before he'd send them to Brian May. And mm. man, I tried that just, whoa, opened it up. But the fucking volume was just, Whoa, yeah. I can't can't use that. Well, I mean, you know, what you're doing is you you know, it's that's designed so you run that amp into overdrive and then what 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 happens inevitably when you push an amp into that sort of overdrive? You lose your your point. <laughs> you know, you lose that cut, you know, the 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 teeth. So you want to put the teeth back. That's what the treble booster does. It just puts that and that that just that the idea of that of mushing up the amp and then putting the teeth back on it. So you can hear every, you know, nuance and every bit of articulation. It's like, boop, that's it. Well, you know, you're in solo heaven straight away. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. You know? Tick. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I just want to ask you one one question before I round it up, if you've got time. Um, how do you view the fretboard? Everybody is so different with how they approach soloing. Um, is there a particular way that you view the fretboard? It's, yeah. I, it's a feel thing. All it is is for me, it's like different areas of the board have, have different feelings, you know, like this is that sort of feeling here. It's, it's like moan, you know, he is like, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a piece of wood that's got a length scale to it. And, you know, down here is going to do that. And around here is that. And then up there is that. So it, it's really I, that's all it is to me. I, I don't really kind of think about it much more than that. I don't sort of start looking at like shapes and stuff. It's it's really you know the the range, it's much like a human voice. You know, when you want to be emotive with a certain re register, you sort of go there. And when you want to say something up there, you go there. It's the same with the guitar. You know, yeah. it's really. But um, there's this tonality, like playing like high up on the fat strings, where you could play it down lower on the you know, a skinnier string or something, but that fat string has that sound up there. So you do that. And the same with bass, you know, like, I, I love the sound of the bass, like played up high, but on the fatter strings, you know, instead, you, you know, you could do it easier down there, but, but just moving around on the E and the A string to get that kind of tone and to this, the way the notes have to slide around each other. That's a, that's a vibe. So are you more and, of a, yeah. like a, uh, a, an ear player, mate, or do you know uh, if I'm in A, well, I can play an A bar chord here and these are the notes that fit in around that? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, it's just a kind of I, – I, I tend to just sort of sail into it. Um, I let my – I just let my gut feeling guide me. 
And, you know, occasionally you'll sort of just slide somewhere and you go, I want to start here because that's what it feels like. And they go, whoa, whoops, oh, one semi-time back, you know, okay. And, I mean, that's the thing about the guitar. No matter what key the song is, you can find a place to say something on every part of that neck, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It doesn't matter what key it is. So, yeah, I mean, you, you, you've always got those familiar shapes, you know, if it's okay, I want, it, I want it to sound happy or majorish or I want it to sound minor, you know, that you do those sort of things. But um, I think, yeah, just the, I think just the, the voice of the string and the tonality of that string at different points around the neck is what guides me, you know. Yeah. Uh, just the, yeah, because the way you shorten them and lengthen them and, and yeah, the, the, just the difference between the big wound string and that skinniest of the unwound is, is such a different it's 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 color and shade shade and, and light and everything so you just kind of use it um what? it's also nice to you know grab a bunch of strings <laughs> yeah know? yeah like like i love yeah when you kind of sort of bend up to a string and kind of get two or three strings all kind of just absolutely it's screaming like a, out at, screaming once, at the same time yeah yeah, I mean, yeah you know i mean you can do that with a harp with a with a harmony harmony pedal, of course, you know, but it's just something more organic and more. I know exactly medicine. what you mean, man. I've I've been trying to do more of that lately myself. Instead of yeah. bending just that B string, nah, fucking grab that the G next to it as well, and just that that dissonance of it not being yeah. the right note, but it just this is something the way it all, all reacts. Like yeah, the amount of sort of space you can occupy with just one note when that in that case, you know what yeah. I mean? Like with a guitar, yeah. it's it's pretty. It's pretty amazing, and you should never like, uh, you know, just always re remember, you know, you, how much you can just occupy with just one note. Yeah, I think that's a good, that's a good, <laughs> good, good uh, practice for any guitar player. Man, you said you use really heavy strings. How about picks? Do you use quite a heavy pick? Yeah, I'll use a Delrin, um, which is a nice material because it doesn't. Oh, they still get really furry, but they fur up a lot slower than like uh, the the kind of uh, what it's made of, um, nitrocelluloid um, or any other material for that matter. The Delrin is like a nylon, I, I believe, and it's um, it's got a nice, smooth, really nice beveled edge when it's brand new. And it, you can kind of quickly, I, I do this thing where I sort of do a look at on my, on my trousers to kind of sharpen it up a little bit. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'll just grab another one. Yeah. But uh, it's like a nervous which I just want that clean edge all the time. And, uh, yeah, the Delrins are really good. Um, Grover, Grover Allman make them fall me in. It's probably the most durable pick I've come across because I used to just use the nitrocellulose before that and they just crack and yeah. fur up really quick. Yeah. When I look at it, I found a pick the other day. was from a long, long time ago. And I was like, whoa, how did I, how did I use this? Just awful. <laughs> um, you just get used to anything, I suppose. But, um yeah, that's that's what I use for the electrics, and then the acoustic I use something um, that's more like an eighty-eight uh, nylon. Yep. Um, with a, quite a bit of flick in it, because uh, as much as I'd like to be able to really articulate, especially when I'm soloing on a on the six string, for instance, um, when I flip to the Telecaster pickup, it's it's just really um, good to have a pick that's got a, a bit of spring in it because. Or just a, from fast strumming and not breaking so many strings. That's, those are two reasons. Yeah. You know, I want to do like real sort of flamenco-y style strumming. It needs to have some give, 
Yeah. And um, if I used a heavy pick on the acoustics, I'd just be banging strings, like popping them all night, I reckon. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> Do you use your fingers much? Not finger picking, yeah. but I mean actually just getting in there single note lines and smashing um, with your fingers? I, I do this thing where I tuck the pick in my palm, like like I'll just be playing and it just goes in there. This and thing, I just, which is what I'm I really do. Used, is, yeah, is, I'm really is used that? to that. Yeah. I get, it's something similar to that, yeah. It's just kind of like it just goes in there like that. Yep, you know, yep. Just kind of. And it's just, um, yeah, I like to have my fingers ready. I like to be able to use them at any time because fingers are great, you know. Um, you can really get a different thing with fingers, you know. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't, I'm not, like, married to a pig, but but when it comes to, like, hitting a power chord, you know, the cliche of the cliches, yeah, that's where I want to pick. <laughs> it's the funniest thing, man. I... I my first big guitar hero was Mark Knopfler and yeah, he uses his fingers and he uses like yeah. these two. It's almost um, finished. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I cannot play with my fingers unless I'm holding a pick and I do exactly that where I tuck it in there and then I use those two fingers instead. And yeah. it's because um, I haven't practiced at home much and the, the times that I've actually had to nail something has been on stage and I'm not about to put, down the pick because I know I'm going to have to smash that power cord yeah. at any any point. So, and since then I've seen quite a few guys do that where they tuck it up, like you showed. Um, yeah. I've seen Brian Setzer do the same thing, and it, it seems to be a bit of a, a standard. Uh, but there is something about using the fingers sometimes. If I'm playing with somebody who's another like shredder type player, I'll counteract what they're doing by going, "Okay, fuck that." Away goes the pick. I'm going to play nice and slow and use my fingers. It just brings out completely different. Oh phrasing. yeah, totally. I, I, I got phrasing. really kind of, uh, I think the finger thing for me came from just being like uh, in bed with my guitar at night and too lazy to get up and find a pick and it would just be like, oh, I'll just play with my hands, you know, and yeah. I'm used to that because of the cello, you know, yep. plucking and whatever. So um, it was like, yeah, pick, I, I know what a pick is for, but I, I, it wasn't like, oh, I can't play without the pick. It just kind of. It's like, yeah, whatever, you know. Yep. And you can do a lot of really cool little sort of uh, percussive and really articulated things, you know, like sort of going like just, yeah, grabbing it, plucking it. I even slap the guitar sometimes like a bass, you know. Yep. <laughs> it's yep. just like this, my strings are, you know, kind of bass-ish anyway, so it kind of makes sense to kind of to get that sort of percussive vibe going sometimes. Yeah. Man, you've mentioned like EL84 amps quite a bit there is do you have a preference in in power tubes and is that something um because really. they, they, they have mean, different characters don't they like sure. 6l6 I mean, versus like, el34 I do, I do, yeah lately i've been my my, my tech uh who's also my sound guy and who's in the uh in the uh chat room by the way he <laughs> yeah yeah i'll he's just go back and find he best, said the best the best amp guy in in australia and that's that was like lip service yeah uh Tone Revival. Yep, yep. And um, he seems to, yeah, say that I like, for the output stage, I like JJ's. That's kind of what we end up with a lot of times. Yep. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I tend to like the ones that have, again, the most headroom and just the kind of biggest and, yeah, biggest and cleanest tone. Cool. Um, yeah, but... Different flavors are fun to play with, especially with uh, I've got a, these little deluxe heads made by a friend of mine, George, up in Innisfail in the Queensland, and he sent them down to me with beautiful old 
new old stock um, 6v6 valves, you know. Yeah, right. And I realized how important those valves were and I, when I swapped them out with just some whatever, you know. Yeah. I can't remember what they were, but it was like, oh, God, that's what happened. The party's, yeah, the magic go? party's finished now. And <laughs> I had to get online and it's, yeah, it's a, it's a habit that I don't really want to delve into too much because they are running out, they're getting really expensive and I just – I've got better things to do than chase 6v6 valves down all the time. Yeah. But having said that, I know how important, like I said, of new old stock 6v6s and the deluxe can really make like a world of difference. But thankfully, this this design that I use mostly on stage, which is the Vox um, Heritage, it's it's pretty pretty. Uh, it's not so crucial about what valves you put in it. Like you just get a good set that's you know in been made you know literally yesterday, and they'll they'll. They'll kick, kick some butt for you. Well, was is saying that, um, hey, guys, JJ EL84s in the Vox, EH6CA7s in a Marshall. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, now, you said the HX effects you're using for, for pedals and stuff now. Yeah. Have you gone down the road of, of modelers? Because um, you, you are we, we're yeah, aware that I mean, tubes are hard to come by these days, good tubes. True. Um Look, modeling for me hasn't really taken over to the point of where I know other people are just doing uh, completely uh, amplest gigs, you know. Uh, and, uh, I mean, yeah, like I, I, I'm not sort of uh, saying that I, I could probably do a gig, that I couldn't do a gig with like a, a plastic wedge behind me and, and a modeling thing and it's like, wow, there's my sound coming out of a plastic wedge. Yeah. Uh, but... Yeah, there's just this. The, the, I think the the combination of the cabinet and the speaker, and yeah, the material of that speaker, and just all of those things, it, it would. Yeah, I'm I'm not ruling it out because I, I think like everything, the, the, where I where I am with my with my rig at the moment is years and years of R and D. So to just flip it to a modeling thing, it's probably unrealistic to think I'm just going to get to where I'm happy like just like that. It, it would be probably a, a, a case of trialing a bunch of stuff, working on it, doing the R&D that I did with this, you know, yeah. um, because it, it's a radical world. It's like the two worlds are very different. So, you know, to cross into the other world, it would take, personally, it would take a lot of tweaking and stuff to get to where I was really happy. But I can see the potential. I mean, look, for me to plug into, say, uh, something like the Apollo that I've got in my studio, I've got a bunch of, you know, I've got a whole fully blown studio, one end with, you know, mic pre's and blah, 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 and everything. And then on the other end, I've got a laptop and just an Apollo and just for doing quick things, you know, like to plug straight in and pull up a Friedman Bucks and Betty, which is the one I seem to use the most. And it's, it's like, you know, the guitar's pretty fooled, you know, to a large degree, it's pretty fooled. I, I would say they thinks it's going into an amp. I think it is. It's like, yeah, this sounds cool. I can play. I'm not going. This is horrible, but I have to get the job done. That's 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 the you know the the key factor. It's like, just am I enjoying this? Is it, does this sound musical? Does it does it inspire me? And I can I can get that inspiration with with just uh, one cable going into a, a laptop with this interface, of course. Um, <laughs> but I'm not sure. You know, I'm there on stage. You know, with a with a kind of a modeling thing. Um, not sure, you know. Yeah. I, I want to I wanna look into it more, as in I don't want to rule it out because um, 
as a guitar player, uh, yeah, like with everything in music and technology, I'm, I've I've embraced whatever it is with when, it, when technology has come my way, whether it's guitar orientated or recording or keyboards or bass or whatever, drums, blah 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 blah. You know, so if there's technology to do with guitar, I don't, I don't, yeah, I've never been that person to just go, that's, you know, I'm not going there because that's, this is where I am, you know, and I'm staying there. Um, I want to know what it is, but a few times I have plugged in. Um, yeah, it's been a little dry. It's a little bit like to me, it's just, yeah, I think the difference for me, it's like, it's going into like a flat piece of paper where it's, you can still see the image, but then, Plugging into an amp is like a diorama, <laughs> you know. It's like got depth of field, and you stick your head in it, and you go, Dude, "Whoa!" That's exactly a, that's exactly an, the analogy. That's the an analogy I use. Yeah. I've had all the modelers. Yeah. I haven't had the AxeFX three, but um, I've had previous AxeFXs, Kempers, Helix, yeah. and I always say to people, in the context of the mix, if you're playing it on its own, it's great. Put it into a mix, and it doesn't pop out. 3d you you've turned it up to where it should be in the mix and you can hear the sound but you can't hear the notes mm. if you turn it up to the point where you can hear the notes then it's taking over from everything else but erwin thomas was on a few weeks back and he was saying that since getting the axe effects 3 that's changed his mind and that he was yeah. going to put together this big wet dry wet rig for their their reunion runs with southern suns and then he said he tried the axe effects 3 and he's like whoa <clears> we'll just go with that so i haven't tried that but um it's something I want to do, want to get my hands on and just well, see I mean, whether it's know, there yet, you know. It's, yeah, it's probably a good thing to just let it go for a while and then hop on <laughs> a few years because the complexity of the sound and, and, you know, again, like it's the harmonic content and all of that. That's what we want, even if it's a clean, clean sound or dirty, dirty, dirty sound. It still has to have a harmonic content and, um, yeah, and then kind of trying to get that to sort of, kind of bloom and just feel like an amp feels on stage is yeah that's that's the i guess that's the that's the trick and i'm pretty sure we're going to get there very very soon you know it, it's probably not going to be that much longer things like the new the new valve that's come out that that the valve that's not really a valve it's kind of like a it's like a fake sort of valve but it okay. still operates like a valve yeah um the vox had brought into those little tiny little amps um it's a pretty it's called technology that that has a sponginess of a valve and reacts like the way when you hit hard or hit softer or whatever it sort of pumps like a valve. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, things like that made me shake my head and go, "Wow, you know, we're coming a long way. This isn't just like, you know, we've we've definitely gone past the Rockman, you know." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of the early like you know like I think I do I see an ADA behind you? Yeah, man. Yeah, ADA and the JMP one. You know, yeah. I was talking about, yeah, well, I had the very first version of that Marshall preamp, as in the very first one to come yep. off the assembly line oh, really? from the Marshall factory, yeah, and it was sounded like two mosquitoes having sex. It was fucking <laughs> awful. Um, Favoured by organ players after that, that's about it, because they put the fake Leslie through it, you know, yep. like a Leslie pedal through yep. that, and then it somehow the breakup would sound like a, like a, like a Leslie that kind of... <laughs> Sort yep. of break up, you know. Man, I uh, thought these things were the fucking ducks yeah. nuts back in the day. And yeah. uh, you mentioned the Bucks and Betty. Uh, I had a Friedman small box and used that for, for quite a while. And then I went and plugged this back in again and went, oh, 
that's not what I remembered a good guitar yeah. sound. Um, scratchy. It's a scratchy yeah. kind of sound. Um, Look, not it's, organic. It's really, hard, it's really hard to build on, you know, something yeah. like that. I found um, it's like, you know, it's, it's something about, you know, it sounds like a real pure, purist here, but when you plug into a 66 blackface twin, no matter what style of music you play, if you don't plug into that amp, turn it off to about five or six and just, you know, bass on about two, mids on middle, treble on about five. If you plug in, a, let's just say, you know, a Les Paul into that amp and get excited, then you're probably not in the right business or something, you know, like if that's, if that doesn't do it for you, then you, you're in trouble. Absolutely. Um, that, that was one of the later things for me to discover was that exactly. Um, and it was through a friend brought one in to the studio and I was like, Oh yeah, blackface twin. As soon as I plugged into it, I was, I was like, fucking fuck. This is, this is like all the records like that I've ever yeah. heard. Yeah. And like, there it is. That's that. Okay. Now I get it. You know, I was like, okay, there's Marshall, there's Vox, but yeah, blackface twin. Hmm. That, that's a sound, you know, like, and it just makes you want to play. You want to play for, for me, I just want to play every Keith Richards like riff ever. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, I love that sound so much that I actually had, this guy in Memphis make me a preamp based on that, and that went in the peak on a track. It was just a blackface twin front of a blackface twin, and that was unfortunately I couldn't use it on my the second uh, incarnation because I needed a preamp that had MIDI specs. So I went to a Mesa Boogie, yeah. which was pretty pretty good, one of the better better pieces of Mesa Boogie gear I've come across, um, and a really good MIDI specs. But yeah, um, yeah, there's 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 been some absolute travesties when it's come to guitar gear over the years <laughs> so it's like stuff ego like but you know everything has its thing and you know? i'm not a snob when it comes to like even if like even that first marshall preamp you know if i, if I had it now i'd probably find a use for it be like it does one thing really good i'll use it for that you know um well yeah when you want the sound of mosquitoes having sex it's like that's the thing that's going to give it to you you know i'm going to shoot a video very soon comparing those two units um and then i'll probably get a modern amp good sounding amp just to compare it to and see how our tastes have changed but you know man i had a 52 telly a, a genuine 52 telly and a 52 deluxe amp sitting behind me here about a year or two ago and i brought louis shelton um the legendary studio guy from wrecking crew etc i don't know if yeah, you yeah. know louis but he's a good friend of mine just lives around the corner and he had told me that his first guitar was a, a 52 telly so i Brought him, brought him around, um, surprised him by pulling out a real 52 and plunking it in his lap. Wow. And I sat there and we talked about it. It's it's actually episode one of Chit Chats with Git Cats and it was filmed here. And to sit there and listen to him play that 52 telly through a 52 uh, deluxe, the sound, the, the sound, oh my God, like... Yeah, there's just yeah. a certain magic in some of those amps. Well, that's, that's, you know, it's a bit like Aerodite, you know, part A, part B, sticking yeah. together yeah. without one, without each other. It's almost the alchemy of that, you know, guitar and amp together is, yeah, that's that's alchemy. They're made for each other, you know. Um, yeah, I, I think that whole period of Fender amps and those Fender guitars, it, it just you just got to, 
you can't you just you can try any combination and it's going to be beautiful every time yeah, but, yeah. you know the, the electronics the, the you know the caps they were using and everything it's all it just yeah well, that that guitar man Married. it was the first thing that strikes you about it when you picked it up was how light it is people talk about heavy les pauls yeah. and stuff and this thing was just super light and then you'd strum it and just super resonant um, yeah i so- always think that the guitar sounds like an acoustic like an electric that you strum and it sounds acoustic-ish, then it, it, you know, you can like go, oh, the pickups aren't good and blah, 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 blah. It's like, you know what? You, you've already, you're winning the battle Absolutely. straight away. Absolutely. You're going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> if it feels dead and doesn't, yeah, before you plug it in, you're probably not going to get better when you plug it in. It's yep. not. Yep. It has to, it has to just like have a voice without the pickups, you know? Yep. Yeah, yeah. There's a guitar behind me there. Um, something that I put together out of Warmoth parts, and it just it sounds dead acoustically. It through the pickups. It just doesn't work. I'm gonna pull yeah. it apart and try and use the neck on something else. But yeah, well, the, those things like that. It's usually the yeah. If you just swap that, it's like oh, you put another neck on. And you go oh, actually, this is pretty damn good now. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, but that neck might be better on another body too. So you well, can't blame the neck. It might just be a mismatch. Yeah. Steve know? Vai claims that his number one, if you tap the neck and then tap the body, that it's the same note. Uh, and he okay. says that's where the synergy of, that's why he uses that one guitar, which he says is going to fall apart any minute now. It's got a big crack running through it. He's been saying that for the last 10, 15 years. But he said, man, it's just I've, the same note. Yeah, I've, I've come across that only once with, one of the guitars that I had when it was being built, and that was um, this little black penguin that Piers Crocker made me. And I remember him tapping the body, and it was like boom, boom. It was an E, and then he tapped the fretboard before he put it on the actual neck with a piece of ebony, and it was a B. So he had like a fifth. Fifth, yeah. And um, he was like, he's like, listen, man, there's no guarantees. And I was my jaws down here. Um, I was like, dude. I had no idea. Is this what they do? He's like, look, in factories, they can't do this, you know, obviously. But he said, I try, you know, and I'm like, wow. I was just like, my whole brain just went, and uh, it, yeah, it was like that, the the fact that he was attuned the, that piece of wood to a B and the body was going boom, boom. Um, yeah, and that was, that was a really good guitar for me for a long time. Still is. Um, my nephew's got it now. But yeah, that I, I understand that can be, you know, a bonus for a guitar. There actually are some musical notes coming out before you put it together. Man, it's funny. I was talking to Charles Cilia, the guitar builder, recently about building me something custom, <clears throat> and I said to him, "Man, would it knock off a bit of price if we don't go with a fancy finish? Because I don't like shiny because I'm too scared to play it or you know let mm. somebody else play it." And he said. He, he didn't want to give me one sort of with a beat up finish because he said, that's the final piece of the puzzle for me. The, the finish has a sound and it's the final piece of the puzzle okay. on the synergy of my guitar. I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. man, you're really looking into the, the pedantics of it to, to be worried about that. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to dispel that, you know, <laughs> it's like, who knows? Oh, I, yeah. It's like, if that's what he, that's his thing, then let him do it. I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mark, Oh, man, we could talk freaking hours. You did say you had questions, <laughs> please, man. So I'm going to let you go, mate. Yeah, man. Um, thank you so much for your time. Been thank great you. talking to you. 
And like I said, if you're going to be around um, playing any shows around here, I'll shoot you an email and try and line up to come to a sound check or something yeah. and have a bit of a, a rig rundown. Uh, so thanks heaps, man. We, we uh, always get up there. Awesome. Awesome. Folks, thanks for tuning in. If you're listening to this on a podcast show and you want to see our, our dials, come over to YouTube and where you can see it all. Better experience there. You can actually ask us questions like people have been doing. Um, lots of thank yous coming up in the chats there. People saying it was a thank nice you. chat. Yep. So thanks for listening, everybody. Mark Lazot, Diesel, thank you so much, Cheers. man. Been an Cheers, honor. Rick. No worries. See you guys. Take Bye care. Now. Stay safe, everyone.